Welcome to The Art of Range, a podcast focused on rangelands and the people who manage them. I'm your host, Tip Hudson, range and livestock specialist with Washington State University Extension. The goal of this podcast is education and conservation through conversation. Find us online at artofrange.com. Welcome back to The Art of Range. We're continuing a conversation today about managerial accounting and managing finances on the ranch with Stan Beavers and James Rogers. And we're joined today by Jack Field with CKP Insurance. And we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about some of the uh, performance indicators that we just began to get into in the previous episode. Uh, Jack, Stan, and James, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Stan, you mentioned in your in uh, your article about key performance indicators that uh, it that one of the only ways that you can ensure that you are individually profitable because people tend to not be very good at at uh, measuring those things is to measure some indicators that are the drivers of profitability, and it's important. To measure something that is a reliable indicator, you know, in the world of rangeland monitoring, you want to, if you're trying to determine whether or not livestock grazing is affecting rangeland condition, you have to measure something about rangeland condition that's responsive to livestock grazing and not something that is entirely climate related or has nothing to do with uh, with grazing impacts. And uh, although I know very little about the world of ranch finance, uh, I understand the same thing is true there. Can, just for those who haven't heard the previous episode, can you describe briefly uh, what <clears throat> what you mean by key performance indicators and maybe what they're not, and then we'll jump into some specific ones. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, what, what I've done in the past, uh, in, in past lives of extension and all that, you know, was come up with about 12 or 13 KPIs and, you know, just as we visited on the on the last podcast, you know, there's several things about KPIs before you kind of really start measuring them. Uh, you know, first off is is to make sure they're they're being calculated the same way over time. And as we mentioned last time, you know, you you get the garbage in, garbage out acronym that if I don't have good inventory data, if I don't have good managerial accounting information and combine those into into KPIs, you know, my KPIs are going to be somewhat suspect. So, uh, you know, it's it's always good to start with good information, as, as we know, to have and in, end up with good results. So, you know, to make sure that uh, I can look at those KPIs and, and they're calculated the same every year. And again, not only from, from trying to identify how the ranch did in one particular year, but one of the goals of, of using KPIs is to be able to trend those KPIs over time, the same same number, and look at it over time uh, and just see how, let's, as an example, we were visiting earlier about the cost of hay production. If, if I'm in a ranch operation and I'm producing hay to feed to my cows, and that's the primary purpose that I'm, I'm raising hay, obviously a KPI would be very important to me would be the hay production cost. Uh, so again, trying to identify that that I calculate that the same every time, um, and if in fact that KPI is kind of 
that hay production KPI is is somewhat uh, in the neighborhood of what I expect. Uh, am I in fact fulfilling the goals of my ownership? And and that's that's the whole key of a KPI or a set of KPIs is to know that if I'm achieving the KPI numbers that I've, I'm trying to work towards, by achieving those numbers, I'm fulfilling the goals of ownership. And, and to me, that's, that's the whole point of, of trying to do this. So you're tracking them over time. Um, you know, it's, it's important to calculate them correctly if you're going to try to benchmark them with somebody else. Because, again, we always want to be able to, to compare apples to apples and not apples to oranges. Um, a few other things, uh, you know, you balance the use of KPIs um, to use one KPI at the expense of another uh, doesn't fulfill goals of ownership. It doesn't move the ranch forward. Uh, as an example, uh, and and we'll get into the specific KPIs here in just a minute. But you know, if I've got a if I've got a low feed cost uh, KPI, uh, purchase feed or raise feed cost per cow. And my productivity is, is from the cows are high or low. By adjusting cow the feed cost numbers, one way or the other, am I in fact m- making a positive impact on cow productivity? So you can actually start to correlate these things and say, okay, uh, you know, if if I do this and to improve the feed KPI, am I in fact improving the productivity KPI? So again, you start making these correlations. So it's pretty important to to look at them, uh, you know, in that respect as well. To focus on one, uh, and you know, at the expense of others, uh, isn't moving the ranch forward. And and the perfect example of that is, you know, for the last fifty years, it seems like all the outside industry of of cows has been, well, I'll increase your weaning weights for you, or I'll increase, you know, the weights of your calves. Uh, that's all fine and good, and certainly we want to have as good of uh, weaning weights as, as possible, but that's got to be balanced in re- in respect to what my feed costs are, or what my bull costs are, my cow costs are. Uh, to sit there and focus on weaning weights alone at the detriment of feed cost, you know, it doesn't move my ranch forward positively. So, again, you've got a correlation there. So, uh, again, there's about 13 or so of them that I believe from a ranching and a cow-calf specifically ranching situation uh, that we look at. Uh, but anybody and everybody will have their own set of KPIs. Uh, not all the ranches uh, that I work with uh, produce hay, uh, but certainly brush control costs and things like that from a range standpoint is is very important. So uh, that's that's just some opening thoughts, guys, uh, you know, that, to think about. Yeah, one quick question before we start talking about some of the individual ones. Uh, you mentioned that the the individual, the specific values for each of the various KPIs, uh, you have identified through kind of some long-term analysis of looking at herd data from lots of different parts of the country. Uh, but we were also talking just in the conversation before we started recording that there are certain places in the country where – the physical circumstances are just different and you may not have access to year round grazing and, you know, hay cost is going to be a larger percentage of somebody's input, uh, you know, total input cost than some other part of the country. Uh, to what extent are the, the values 
uh, for, for these individual KPIs sort of universal? And to what extent should they be adjusted a bit by by region? Oh, that, that's a great question because if you think about the KPI numbers that that we'll talk about specifically here in just a minute, I start at the at the overall ranch level, okay, and and predominantly one of the one of my look at is what is my rate of return on assets, okay, and um, that number in and of itself is applicable clear across the country. And for that matter, across industries within a country, because again, if, if everybody's calculating it the same, okay, what's my net income divided by uh, all my asset values, okay, then that number is very applicable uh, across all ranches. And again, I'll just, you know, if that number's one to one and a half percent, <laughs> that's, that's going to be about what a ranch will do. I don't care whether it's in Florida mm. Or Montana, or even in Hawaii. Okay, again, it's going to mm-hmm. be somewhere in there. So, to some degree, it is an industry-wide number. Okay, but uh, as we mentioned last time, we talked about the dark side <laughs> of benchmarking. Okay, and, and benchmarking with these KPIs, uh, there are numbers that you just cannot apply from Texas to Montana. Okay, because again. Down here in the in the western side of, of Texas, you know, we just don't produce a lot of hay uh, for our cows. I mean, our grasses are strong enough. Uh, you know, we we tend to stay uh, moderately stocked that we don't have to feed hay through the through the winter. Uh, you know, some level of supplementation, protein supplement, who typically gets us through the winter months. Where in Montana, somebody's going to put up you know an average of one to two tons of hay per female to get them through the wintertime and through the, you know, through the, through the entire year. So obviously when you look at feed cost, you can't compare those two. So there's always that dark side mm-hmm. that, you know, somebody will take one of these numbers and, and say, well, gosh, Stan's saying it's an 83%, you know, calf crop winning percentage for a calf crop. I'm doing 90. Well, you know, that's all fine and good. Uh, but, and if that's the KPI you're focusing on, that's fine. But let's look at not only that number, but let's also look at the cost per female number or the cost per wing calf number. Because, you know, you can have a 95% calf crop if you choose to. But I can assure you it is too expensive. When it comes to what mm. it actually costs you to wean those calves, you're putting in way too much feed. You're probably putting in, you know, too many bulls per cow. Uh, there's several things now. I'm not saying that somebody can't, you know, achieve a 90% calf crop, uh, and in fact, you know, they do. But you've got to be able to measure it against also, you know, what it costs me to do that as well. So uh, again, you that's kind of the dark side. So the question, you know, yeah, some of them are relative uh, across the entire industry and across the country. Some of them just absolutely not. And I am always in favor of first. Compare yourself to yourself over time, okay? Be your worst critic, okay? If, if I'm at, you know, $900 per cow per year, how do I make that 880 next year, okay? So I want to be accountable to myself over time. Uh, you know, I can let somebody else say, well, you know, you're at 950 and, and you should be at, you know, 880, uh, because that's what the industry is. Well, you don't know what my situation is. I mean, one of the one of the other things that really comes into play is ranches that have debt. 
Okay, so what's the interest cost on one, you know, one operation versus another? Some of these ranches out here in West Texas, you know, operate without any debt. So if you don't, if you don't have an interest cost, that can be huge. Now, if you've got some debt and you're trying to buy some mortgage, you know, mortgage some land or something, even buy some cows at this point, uh, you're going to have an interest cost that's going to really influence that total cost per wean calf or total cost per cow. Sure. And going back to your previous comment about the uh, the the marginal cost of uh, increasing, say, calf crop by a percentage point. You know, if we're if you're trying to operate where marginal revenue equals marginal cost to optimize profit, if you know one ranch's um, marginal cost of increasing that by a percentage point is going to be different than another ranch's marginal cost to get the additional marginal revenue, <clears throat> and a person can only evaluate that specific to their own operation. Well, I don't know whether you have these KPIs uh, listed in order of importance, so I'll let you decide which ones to jump on okay. first. But we have talked about calf crop a bit, and that mm -hmm. seems to be one of the ones that people are somewhat familiar with. So that may be a good place to start. Okay. Well, let me let me kind of start at, at the top of a list that I have. And, and there's two that aren't even KPIs as such, okay? But they are massively important, okay? One is, and, and so if you think about uh, trying to put this put this in perspective for ranchers out here and those that are wanting to analyze ranches, what's a set of data that that you really need, and what's the KPIs that you really need to do a good job of analyzing? You know, not only am I profitable today, but how do I move to profitability? So number one, and I always list it at the top anytime I analyze a ranch is what's the number of breeding females. Okay, and that sounds so simple. Okay, but I want to know how many females you had that coulda, woulda, shoulda weaned a calf that particular year and put that number as of the start of the fiscal year. Now, as we visited last time, you know, a lot, most ranchers use a calendar year basis, uh, January 1. So as of January 1, start tracking and, and make it a, make it a, a, an effort that on January 1 or, or somewhere real close to that, I'm going to know the number of females that I have that could have, would have, should have weaned a calf in those next 12 months. Okay. So that should be everything at the first calf heifer and older. There you go. Absolutely. It's, yep. Yep. Okay. So, uh, and, and why that is so important. And, and as we move down through these KPIs, one that, that people, <laughs> You know, they, they don't like to focus on it because it's hard to deal with. And that's the fixed cost of the operation. We briefly talked about them last time, but we'll get to it in more detail here in a little bit. But what's the fixed cost of my operation? Well, once I determine what my fixed cost is, the easiest way to reduce my fixed cost on a unit basis is to increase the number of females that I apply against it. You know, if I've got $10,000 in property taxes, which would be a fixed cost, okay, I'm going to have property taxes, uh, you know, whether I run a cow on it or not. If I had $10,000 in property taxes and I only have 100 cows versus $10,000 in property taxes and I have 10,000 cows, okay, that changes that fixed cost structure. So what's the balance between what the fixed cost of the operation is relative to what I'm generating, what I'm using to generate as a tool to generate revenue, and that's the cow number, 
Okay, so that's the number one really pertinent number. Now, the number two number that necessarily isn't isn't necessarily a KPI, but that's rainfall or deviation from normal rainfall. Okay, you know I'm in a 26 uh, inch uh, annual rainfall area. And right now, it looks like I'm going to end up with about 12 inches this year, <laughs> unless unless it starts raining pretty quick. I've come through my heaviest rainfall months, and and right now I've only got less than 10 inches of rainfall. So wow. so now, obviously, the deviation from rainfall impacts my decisions on number one, breeding females. Correct. So now, if I'm sitting here and knowing that I'm in a drought then I'm also probably making the decision to destock my number one, which is breeding females. And, you know, in, in ex- when my, my previous life as an extension economist, uh, you know, I did, you know, an unlimited number of drought meetings and, and <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll bash myself, you know, like I should, because we would get in here and, and we'd start telling these folks, well, you know, we're in a drought, you need to be destocking, and that's probably true. Okay, well, it is, it is true, but we never gave them the second verse to that song. And if I'm going to destock, again, the greatest influencer of the breeding number is against the fixed cost. If I have the second verse to that, if I'm going to destock to fifty percent of my normal capacity. Guess what? I also needed to cut 50% of my fixed cost, which meant sell pickups, sell trailers, quit building fence, all those other things. If I don't, my fixed cost on a unit basis explodes. Okay. Right. You've got all the same infrastructure and half of the production to back it up. There you go. Exactly. So I've, you know, I've seen board of directors just hammer GMs because all of a sudden they're, they're, cost production, cost production or cost per female just exploded. And the next number I always went to, well, what's the deviation in rainfall? And well, you know, I only had 50% of normal rainfall. Because of that, I destocked. And because of that, my cost exploded. And a board of directors doesn't necessarily, well, I heard it was dry, but I didn't know how, I didn't know what you were doing to react to that. Well, I reacted by destocking, you know, 50%, 70%, 50%, 70%, whatever, okay? Well, we should already know that, oh, my gosh, my fixed costs are going to explode as well. So those two numbers right there, more times than not, uh, one of them we control, one of them we don't, okay? We control the, the stocking rate number, but we don't control the rainfall. But those two numbers in and of itself will determine any one year whether a ranch is making money or not, okay? I mean, I, I right. know I know people talk about well, you know, it's it's calf crop percentage, it's pregnant percent. No, it's not. It's the relativity between stocking rate and fixed cost and the rainfall. Okay, those are the big influencers. But again, we don't know, we don't control the rainfall. Okay, um, so that's good question. Before mm-hmm, we yeah, move go right on, ahead. absolutely. Uh, would you include replacement heifers? in the breeding female number because they're they may not be producing right now but they're contributing to your overhead costs i do not okay developing replacement heifers i do not okay now uh, again i don't have a problem if somebody does that but that you just hit on a a major issue with kpis and and how you calculate and that's consistency if you're going to put them in 
leave them in every year. Okay. Uh, you know, my recommendation is back to the, just because it's easy to remember is the coulda, woulda, shoulda. Okay. All those females that coulda, woulda, shoulda weaned that calf that year. Okay. So. But developing so if they're exposed are, and they would produce next year? Um, actually, it would be your your yearling heifers, okay, uh, from the previous year that are being developed and being bred, okay, but won't wean a calf until the following year, okay? Two-year-old right. okay. across three calendar years, right? So, Stan, this is James. Okay. So, are you uh-huh. capitalizing those replacement heifers then? And then uh, using, but, you're picking up that value in depreciation? Okay, and and that's back to the man- managerial accounting question. And yes, I would recommend, you know, I would recommend ranches to do that. Okay, now again, I know that changes their accounting system, but hey, that's what it's about. You know, uh, again, pushing the tax accounting back to the back burner and moving account and managerial accounting to the front burner. And I would isolate those costs of replacement heifers, beginning with what it costs me to wean a, a wean any calf on the ranch. Okay, let's say it costs me, you know, eight hundred to to wean a calf on on a particular ranch. I start adding to those to that expense until the point where she weans a calf, which is two years later across three calendar years. Okay, and at that point, uh, and again, some. That that finishing point, sometimes some people do it one way and some people and I do it another way. The question becomes, at what point do you stop accumulating expenses? OK, and put that total number on a depreciation schedule. OK, some people will use when she's bred positive. I believe that she has not proven herself to be a mother yet until she weans that calf. Any female can get bred but not every female can wean a calf, okay? So, again, I, I take it clear to the point where she weans her first calf. Okay. So then, she, yes, then she that value then gets added to the depreciation schedule, and I start depreciating her over her useful life. Okay? Stan, Great question. Mm-hmm. Could, this is Jack. Could you talk a little bit about, on the vein of females, the uh, concept or how you get over the idea that on the ranch we have to raise all of our own females versus being able to go out and purchase them and have a basis in them? Um, gosh, see, and, and that's that's the whole key of, of changing the accounting, okay? Uh, you do have a basis in that female. If If we would take the managerial accounting approach, and start isolating expenses, kind of like what we talked last time. You know, we've got cost centers, support centers, and profit centers. Well, those replacement heifers, let's say a, a 20, this is 2022, so a 2021 female that I tag to be a replacement female, all of a sudden, I take the value of what it's cost me to wean all those calves from 2021, and she, that value then gets added to the balance sheet as, a, as an investment in growing breeding stock. It's a current asset Mm -hmm. as opposed to a fixed asset. I am building now my basis number by doing that. Okay. And as through 2022, as I add expense to her, I bring the bulls in, I try to get her bred in the fall of 22, you know, I I preg check and see which ones are open, uh, which ones are bred. I'll sell the opens, which goes against, okay, it becomes an expense reducer, those calls, okay, call replacements, they become an expense reducer. She has a calf next year in 2023. She finally weans the calf in the fall of 23. 
And therein, all of a sudden, I have a basis number, which, again, from a trackable standpoint, I can say, okay, well, this is what it costs me to develop my own replacement heifers on my ranch, which, again, if I'm a commercial operation or it's commercial or seed stock, for that matter, one of the KPIs that you should be looking at is what it costs you to develop your own replacement heifers relative to what I could go out there and buy those heifers for. Okay. Now, again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of devil in the details in there because again, you know, if, if I've got, you know, a hundred cal total and I only need, you know, 15 replacement heifers, well, you know, I can probably go find 15 replacement heifers that are that are comparable to what my cows look like and fit my system. Now, if I'm 2,000 cows or up, even in this, you know, possibly 10,000 cows, can I find them in the quantity that I need uh, in a consistent manner? So in some cases, we're probably forced to develop a replacement heifer, just like in, if I'm going to run cows in Montana, I'm forced to hay produce, okay? Again, that's a cost of doing business, but that means that that KPI is so much more important because that's something I have to do. It's a loss leader. Uh, if you want to think about Walmart and all that, that's a loss leader. I have to do that uh, in order to maintain sustainability in my operation. So great question. Lots of stuff there. Um so if if we go back kind of to to the thirty thousand foot view as as I mentioned, so we've got the number one and number two, you know, the, just the no, number of females that I, I'm carrying plus uh, deviation mm-hmm. from rainfall. Now I want to look at the thirty thousand foot view of my operation. I don't care what all you know profit centers I have, what all cost centers I have, but I'm looking at rate of return on assets. Okay. I'm looking at what my fixed cost structure is through what I call the support center ratio. And those two things, and, and then depending on how much debt I'm carrying, if, if I'm carrying debt, obviously an equity to asset or a debt to asset ratio is, is paramount. Um, again, knowing what those numbers are and tracking them over time, uh, you know, if, 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 if I'm carrying debt, and I'm trying to reduce that debt over time. What is my debt to asset, or what is my equity to asset? Either one. Uh, again, it's it's y'all's. You know, it's it's whoever gets wants to pick them. Uh, but I want to know over a two-year period, a three-year period, that that debt to equity, debt to asset ratio was going down over time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that tells me I am fulfilling the goals of my ownership of of why I'm actually owning the land in the first place. So. And, and I want to stop for just a minute, and, and there's a couple of things because, again, you know, when, when you think about KPIs, there's the database or the benchmark average of a particular, you know, database. Uh, I've got a, a database of all the ranches that, that I've worked with over time, and I've got the average, which, again, that's kind of an industry average because, again, those ranches are all over the country. And I'd like to be able to see those and compare. But again, knowing, as we talked earlier, that that I can't necessarily compare Florida with, with Texas on a lot of stuff. But then this next thing is I have a target, okay? And the target should be individualized. This is what I know my KPI number was. This is where the benchmark is. Again, that just a benchmark is just telling me I'm in the ballpark. It doesn't, again, tell me what my resources are, what the benchmark average resources are. 
but I've got mine KPI figure, but then I'm going to come out here in, in the following year, you know, at the end of the year, and I'm going to make a target for that KPI for the following year. And that's based on what I believe my productivity numbers are going to be for my females, how many females I'm going to have. I don't know what rainfall is going to be, okay, obviously, but I have to kind of adjust for normal rainfall. And then based upon, we talked earlier, you know, last time about what a ranch manager or GM should do every year. And from a financial standpoint, that's two things. One is develop a cash flow budget. Okay. So now actually I have an estimate of what my expenses and what my revenue is going to be. So I can actually go in and project a target KPI. Okay. And to me, you've, you've just done a full job hmm. of, of ranch management. Uh, as one ranch owner and ranch, he's a GM. Uh, he has he has numbers now for about twelve years, and his testament uh, was Stan using these numbers. Has I, I don't know how to operate the ranch if I didn't have these numbers. Tell, and, and honestly, nothing about this management scares me now. Just tell me what the circumstances are going to be that I'm going to have to deal with, i.e., a price drop. Okay, prices drop twenty percent. Or tell me I'm going to be in a drought and I'm going to have to reduce my stocking rate by 20%. Knowing what my numbers have been for the last 10, 12 years, within about two hours, I can inform the board of directors already in March or April for the end of December, this is what the ranch is facing. I can already be preparing them based upon what I projected from the KPI standpoint. So to me, that's a that's a testament of somebody taking this information, having the good accounting, good inventory system, the good range monitoring system, and then being able to project in time, uh, this is what it's going to look like this this coming year. So, uh, so again, I think the, that is remarkable. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons for that is that I suspect there are a lot of people who don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 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 that's you're exactly right. Uh, now the question is. That one person that doesn't want to know, who are they accountable to? Okay. If, right. it, and, and if I'm just accountable to myself, which ultimately, you know, is, is going to be bad enough because chances are if I'm, you know, I've got to be accountable to somebody, even if it's a lender. Okay. Because at some point, if things aren't going well, I'm going to end up borrowing money against my land. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if, if I'm being held accountable to a set of board of directors that, you know, two <clears throat> two of them that, you know, probably doesn't even know we're out ranching at all. All they know is financial numbers. You know, uh, I better have my ducks in a row. And because the last thing, you know, picture yourself if, if you're a GM and you've got a board of directors and two of them are outside family members and one of them's a venture capitalist that doesn't know the wrong end of a cow. Okay. Uh, but all of a sudden at the end of the year, you know, this ranch has lost, you know, a quarter of a million dollars. What's that venture capitalist going to say? Could you not have told us this? My goodness, you know, why weren't you, why weren't you steering the Titanic away from this <laughs> iceberg that sunk us, you know? Uh, well, right. you know, guys, if you can't we, see the iceberg. Trying. Exactly. If you can't see the iceberg, you, you can't change. I, I loved your analogy last time about the, the dipstick, uh, you know, well, you know, you, you can't just change the dipstick. You got to try to change what's going on in the car. Okay. So great, great comment. So, 
Um, so those are the 30,000 foot views. Okay. Again, the KPIs for support centers, uh, you know, how much is, is of my expenses are made up of fixed cost relative to the revenue that it's generating and things like that. And rate of return on assets, uh, debt to equity, uh, you know, those type of, those type of KPIs. <clears throat> From there, then, uh, you jump to, each of the enterprises or centers that make up that operation. Okay, what's the cows doing? If I've got a yearling operation, if I've got a wildlife operation, and most predominantly, you know, this has fallen into a cow-calf situation. Okay, so mm-hmm. uh, moving then to, to cow-calf KPIs, you know, you, we kind of start on, on the production side, Um you probably go back. Some of us are familiar with what was called the Beef Cow Calf Spa Program or SBI, uh, Standardized Performance Analysis, and that's a that was a standard way to calculate productivity figures for cows. One of them being the the most predominant production number was pounds ex- produced per exposed female. Okay, so how many pounds is one cow? Again, back to the coulda, woulda, shoulda number, okay? Mm. How many pounds is one female weaning? Irregardless of whether she had a calf or she didn't, she was a part of the herd. And right now, you know, that that number doesn't change a whole lot because, again, uh, you know, uh, cows can only have one calf a year. That ain't changed in the last 50 years. That's probably not going to change in the next 50 years, okay? Okay. Relative then to what the weaning weights are, okay, you multiply those two numbers together and you get pounds weaned per exposed female. And the average right now is about 460 pounds per female. But that again, that's an industry-wide number. I've got ranches down here that that number is over 600 pounds, okay? But I've also got ranches that it's 300. Again, it's it's that's one of those numbers that you have to really first identify what the goals of the ranch is and ranch ownership and what the resources are. If, if my <clears throat> operation is selling, you know, 400 pound or 350 pound rope and steers, well, I don't need 600 pound weaning weights. Okay. I need smaller weaning weights, but again, it's still important that, that I have the greatest number of calves wean that I can have. Okay. So again, that's that's trending over time. Um, t- again, as I mentioned, you, you use to in order to come up with pounds weaned per exposed female, you have to have two other numbers. That's weaning weights and and then weaning percentage. We'll come back to the weaning weight here in just a minute. But again, a weaning weight is a KPI. Okay, this seems like an example of one where the the specific number is sort of specific to the ranch. Maybe I'm missing something, but it seems like the elephant question is it makes a difference whether you're if you if you calve on May one and wean on October one, that's gonna look a lot different than if somebody calves on January fifteenth and doesn't wean till middle of November. Exactly right. That's uh, again you you've hit it on the head that Weaning, you know, and and that's why I get kind of frustrated with the industry that sits here and tells, you know, cow-calf guys, we'll increase your weaning weights. You may be driving me right into the ground (laughs) right, Uh, by making those recommendations, okay, because that's not what my system is, okay? 
my system is like you say to wean a six month old instead of nine month old. Okay. Or use black cattle instead of polka dot cattle. Okay. That's what my system is. So you can't, and, and I'll just tell you, uh, or, or ask the question and we'll talk about it. You know, what's the, what's the three greatest influencer of weaning weights? And, you know, I usually ask that uh, in an audience and usually the, the response is, well, it's the breed or it's, you know, it's feed, you know, how much I'm feeding, you know, it's the quality of the bulls. Well, you've just talked about number three, all inclusive. You just talked about number three, which is management and everybody will scratch their head. Well, that's not the greatest influencer of weaning weight. What's the greatest influencer of weaning weights? And the greatest influencer of weaning weights is deviation from normal rainfall. <laughs> if I have the best genetics in the world and I only get 40% of normal rainfall, my weaning weights are going to suffer. Right? So mm-hmm. we- weather or deviation from normal rainfall is number one. We've already said what number three is. is That's the management collective of, of breeds, nutrition, you know, feeding and all that. That's number three. Number two, then, Tip, you've already mentioned it. Number two is what? Days since birth. There you, it's a, days of age. <laughs> days of age right. is the second greatest influencer of weaning weights. I'm sorry. You know, uh, so one is weather. Two is days of age. Three is me. Yeah. That's not necessarily something that I can influence to a large degree. Now, that's not to say I want, I, you know, I don't want to try to maximize them, but I want to maximize them within the resources that I'm willing to put out there. Okay. Now, that's, 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 that says a lot out of this horse's mouth. I'm will, I want to maximize them relative to the resources, i.e., the feed that I want to put in them, the amount that I want to spend for bulls. The amount I want to send for replacement heifers, I want to maximize them within the resources I'm willing to spend. Okay. I don't mm-hmm. control number one. I somewhat control number two. Okay. Now, again, within a you know two to three week period, I don't necessarily influence, you know, when the calves are going to hit the ground, but I do influence whether they're six months old or nine months old. Okay. So that's the weaning weight issue. The second <clears throat> component of, of that pounds for female then is, you know, weaning percentage. And obviously, weaning percentage starts with pregnancy. You know, how many cows am I getting bred? How many are open? Uh, within classes of cattle, you know, how am I getting the getting them bred on my first calf heifers? You know, and then, heaven forbid... The second calf heifers, which we all know tend to be the hardest to, to get rebred, um, but again, being able to track those over time. Um, so those those are the primary cow-calf numbers of KPIs that, that I want to look at. You know, there there's others there. Uh, you know, just from a from a stocking rate standpoint, you know, what's my stocking rate look like over time? Uh, cow, you know, females. Uh, per acres or animal units per acres, however anybody wants to calculate it, uh, whether you use just a head number or whether you use an animal unit number, whatever, uh, I don't have a problem with that. Some people want to talk about pounds per acre weaned. Some people want to talk about pounds per cow, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, pounds of weaned calf per exposed female. So, again, pick what you want 
but then track them over time. Make sense? Uh, And the funny thing is you can correlate then, and people want to, they don't necessarily want to talk about this, uh, but from an analyst standpoint, visualize this chart for me that across the bottom, I have percent normal rainfall. Somewhere around, you know, where the axis would be in the middle is 100%. So I got 100% of what my normal rainfall is. Up and down the left-hand axis, I have pounds per exposed female. And all of a sudden, you get this chart that says, okay, well, if if I'm going to get 90% normal rainfall, then I'm going to expect my weaning weights to be 20 pounds less. Okay, you can actually start doing these correlations. Now, you can start doing these correlations. Now, do I expect ranch managers to do that? Heck no. Okay. But if I'm a consultant out here, you know, that, or even, you know, guys, uh, you know, from, from the insurance business, uh, you know, you can, you can start doing these correlations for people and, and it's, it's pretty amazing what it, what it looks like. Okay. But again, you got to have the data to do that. So, so there's several things from from a cow calf productivity KPI standpoint that you can take a look at and and really start analyzing the operation as a whole. So, James, did you want to add something there? Well, I, and I just I guess I'm gonna uh, point out and maybe Stan, you can confirm. You obviously have the current year's um, weaning weight that's also is going to be affected because of the you know cattle not milking as well or whatever but you're going to have future years because that's when you get the the breed up is worse because of that dry condition so there's a lagging effect of this performance that Mm -hmm. goes on so we don't see it in one year we see it in multiple years am i correct no no absolutely you're correct Uh, absolutely there there is a lag okay it does infect affect the current year but it also affects the coming years as well and, and and that's something that we don't necessarily always think about in in a drought okay uh you know it's it's bad enough in 2022 but with the current calf crop yeah with the current calf crop but all of a sudden I'm out here looking at my females and I just turned the bulls in and my females are in a body condition score three and a half and four mm-hmm. wow. I should immediately know, you know, but I'm out here as I turn the bulls out, I'm looking at my calves and, you know, those really good managers will be looking at their calves and their cows and have been looking at their cows thinking, okay, I'm going to turn the bulls in 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 60 days and these cows are in a 3.5 or 4. I better start doing something today, but that's not, I'm not going to reap any benefit on that or any, you know, any detriment if I don't for the next year. But that's what ranch managers need to think about is, okay, I got to also be thinking about the following year because it's going to impact pregnancy rates this fall and waning percentage next year. So absolutely, it's, it's, that's a great comment. Yeah, and it's a difficult uh, compensation to try to figure out, I guess, because if you even if you call heavy and reduce the number of females that you're trying to maintain, if you have poor range condition, you're still going to have difficult readback even on the smaller number of cows. And so, so now you've got fewer calves in the future year, as well as, um, you know, 
poor body yeah. condition on the cows. It, it's hit you twice. No, I'm so, and and hopefully what you haven't done is tried to feed yourself out of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Uh, because all of a sudden you've you've not only you know really hurt the productivity, but you've also increased your cost as well. Okay, so uh, again, you know that's that's the whole dynamics of a drought situation. So. Um, so as, as we then move, uh, away from the production and, and start Stan, moving to, yeah, go ahead. To, to, to your point there, mm-hmm. what would you say would be the receptivity to producers on a nationwide basis that to that last point you made? I mean, you can't feed your way out of a drought. That's something that, that we've seen, you know, in Australia, they understand that very well, very quickly, but it seems that here, uh, in the States, at least for quite a while, that that hadn't been as readily adopted. What would you say? Would you say that's something that's well understood now by, by producers, at least those that you work with? Um, yeah. And just to follow up mm-hmm. on your reasoning there, Jack, you know, people are going to feel like I've done a lot of work to develop a cow herd. If this is a blip on the radar screen, yes. I can take a hit this year financially, and then I'm going to be okay next year and we'll just ride it out. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, those, that's, that's a great question and great comment. I would like to think uh, that we have learned our lessons. Uh, any drought in Texas seems to be a prolonged drought, it seems like. Uh, yes. But other areas, you know, are, are just dry areas. Uh, you know, I mean, we're in a 10-year period down here. We're eight years into into dry and drought and have, you know, one to two years of, of well, you know, wet within a drought. So, um, so we kind of know, um, you know, we can't feed ourselves. So, you know, our response to that, and, and again, it's, it's a, it's a ratcheting effect. Our response to that is we try to stay moderately stocked. Well, that's all fine and good to stay moderately stocked, but we go back to what I said before on, on what's the stocking rate relative to the fixed cost. You guys know as well as I do what pickups cost and what they did cost, you know, even five, six years ago. Well, now instead of paying 40000 you know, I'm paying sixty five, seventy thousand for a ranch pickup. Well, that's a fixed cost. And I don't know that I can stay moderately stocked anymore. Okay. But therein, I raise my, I raise my risk of, of what happens to me if I am in a drought. So, you know, I would love to, th- you know, I, I would love to think that ranchers uh, are recognizing that they can't feed themselves out of a drought. But I also feel for them because I had cows myself, you know, and I mean, I, I know what it takes to, you know, to have good cows and a good herd and, you know, use the great bulls and, you know, really try to fulfill my objectives. But, you know, it, it's a risk there. So I don't really have a good answer for you uh, except for. You know, if it it just it comes back and 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 really portrays the importance of monitoring over time, even the rainfall. You know, back in August, you know, it started looking like we were dry. Okay, I mean August, September, October, and if I had my data right, which you know, thankfully I do. Uh, you know, I could see that. Oh my gosh, for the last three months of last year, I'm already. You know, from a growing season standpoint, I'm already 30% behind on moisture. And if I don't get it in March, you know, the coming March, I, I know I'm not going to get anything in January and February. I typically don't. But if I get to March and I'm still dry and I'm somewhat below normal, 
you know, guys, I got to start taking action immediately because the rest of the year is, is there's just no way I'm going to recover. So again, it comes back to, you know, to the monitoring, you know, of, of these numbers over time, uh, you know, as, as much as you can to, to really be, you know, proactive instead of reactive. Okay. Uh, I, that's, I, I, I flan, floundered back and forth, so I didn't answer your question, but I tried to dodge it as best I could. <laughs> would you say that um, it would be, you'd have a quicker receptivity to destocking from a yearling producer versus a cow-calf producer due to the, I guess, I, and the only way I can say somewhat semi-emotional attachment to the animal versus the the investments and all the other reasons you've just alluded to versus if you were going to you know your neighbor or a, a sale yard or a local video to purchase x number of truckloads of steers or heifers writing that check makes it a little easier to say well instead of buying eight loads we're only going to buy six uh without a doubt and and again from strictly from a cow calf ranching standpoint you know I talk about you know, we we try to stay moder- moderately stocked, but now it's it's difficult to stay that way because of the fixed cost that's associated. But that this, let's just say some magical number here for whatever it is. You know, I'm at eighty percent stocked. You know, am I capable of taking those other fifteen to twenty percent and and using that with a yearling operation? Well, now, you know, I'm not only a cow-calf guy, but I'm also a yearling operator, uh, you know, on the other 15%, and I'm going to stay off of the five. Um, you know, that, that, that shock absorber is now my yearling, okay? So, yes, the, the emotional attachment to, to some, you know, six-weight steer out here that's a knothead that's jumping <laughs> that's jumping fences you know i'm not going to have a whole lot of you know admiration to to selling you know to, to that steer so i'm just going to sell it if, if things get dry and hope i hope those sales gets me through this drought and i don't have to get into the 80 percent of my cows uh so that yes. that happens but you know there's always devil in the details because now, as I mentioned earlier, you're not, you're not only a cow-calf operation, but now you're a yearling operation as well to a smaller degree. And you guys know as well as I do, it takes a different set of skills uh, to be a yearling operator versus a cow-calf operation. I mean, you, you've got to have two different sets of brains here because, again, you know, and, and but again, you know, you start talking about what's the KPIs on a yearling operation and, you know, the, the two things in my mind, and I've, I've looked at these numbers on various operations from a KPI standpoint, from a yearlings, you know, what's my gross margin, sell value versus the buy value on a head basis, and what's my cost of gain? I mean, those two numbers are paramount, you know, in, in a yearling operation. Uh, that is not the case in a cow-calf operation. So, you know, it's it, it sounds good, and, and that's what a lot of us try to do, but it's it's a balance in there to, to try to maintain both of them at the same time. Okay, so just kind of moving then to, you know, to, to the cow-calf operation. I know, uh, as, as we all know, we'll always run out of time uh, more so than – uh, than we'd like. Uh, but from a cow-calf standpoint, there's two numbers from a financial side or really uh, from an integrated side, production and financial. Uh, first off, what's it cost me to run a cow a year? Okay. And, and again, 
this is one of those that, you know, it can vary across the country big time. Uh, my data right now says it's about 950 bucks to run a cow a year across all my clients. Okay. Now, that's that number is trackable. I can look at that number. The greatest influence of that number or two is the fixed cost and the breeding female number. Okay. The coulda, woulda, shoulda number. Um, again, I can change my inventory number and I can affect that number very quickly. I can stop buying fixed stuff and affect that number very quickly. Um, the other number that I would have more preference to look at, though, is what's it cost me to wean a calf? And that number takes into account that all my females aren't weaning calves. So, again, the coulda, woulda, shoulda number uh, divided by total cost, uh, uh, in, in this case, total number of calves weaned, and that number right now is about 1125 bucks a calf. Well, you guys know as well as I do, you're not getting that much for a calf, okay, right now. Uh, now, it's getting closer, uh, and it probably will get there in the next year or two. Uh, but, you know, it, it gets pretty rough to, to try to come up with that number. But, again, tracking that number over time, uh, you know, again, that's an average number. As as we talked, uh, I hope everybody is on the bottom side of that average, but we also know it's an average, so which means there's people on top of that number as well. So those two numbers Stan, are very incredible. Yes, sir. Could, could you touch a little bit on, in looking through your KPIs, you've got hired labor, depreciation, uh, repairs and maintenance. Can you touch a little bit on the idea of owning all of your equipment to do your work, say if, if you're talking about an operation that has a hay component versus custom hiring it. Granted, you're you're still writing a check, but is have you have you run into a preference of one over the other or a benefit of one over the other? Uh, there certainly are differences tax wise. And then I, I guess take care of that and I'll yeah, hit okay. you with a follow up uh, sure, if you have sure. time. Um yeah. Um so a lot of those. Well, one one example specifically, and and we mentioned it to it before we came on the air, uh, was you know somebody that's you know that's got you know four thousand cows, two thousand cows in Montana. Uh, if you're going to run that number of cows in Montana, you're probably going to have a hay enterprise, and you're probably going to do the hay enterprise yourself. Okay, and it's not so much that from a cost standpoint, albeit it can be. But the problem is the quantity and the quality that you have to have to run that many cows in that state, okay? They're just not going to be that many people from a custom harvest, from a custom growing standpoint and harvest standpoint that can supply the tonnage to, to maintain that herd, okay? Now, if I'm 100 cows out here, and I, I I don't mean to offend anybody, but if I'm 100 cows in East Texas uh, where you will grow hay, I call that recreational hay. Uh, you just like to get out there on that tractor and you like to get that baler behind you and you just like to cut hay and bale hay uh, for your cows. So that's all fine and good. Uh, would you be better off if you had somebody come in there and do that for you or you go buy your hay? Well, as long as you can find the quantity and the quality that you're looking for, yeah, that's probably a component of your operation that you could actually make some efficiency changes on. You could just cut your 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 tractors out, your balers out. But again, understand that the risk has now shifted to that grower 
always being able to provide you. And the next thing you know, instead of $110 a round bell, it's going to be $160 a round bell. Oh, well, gosh, I just can't afford that. Well, I'm sorry. You know, that's what it is. My machinery's going up, fertilizer's up, blah, 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 you know. Uh, so you're now at that risk instead of uh, the risk of owning your own equipment doing it. So is there a, a standard, this is what you should do? Absolutely not. Uh, if there is, I ain't seen it yet. Okay. Uh, so it's it's all, you know, what you can handle yourself. In in those examples where you have diversified operations and uh, potentially multiple entities, i.e. a farming enterprise, uh, livestock enterprise, mm-hmm. with your clients, do you recommend staggered fiscal years to give one entity the opportunity to uh, capitalize tax-wise on a in the year and still pass that off to the next? I think that becomes a bigger burden to, to try to stagger your fiscal years is becomes more of a burden uh, from the person that's actually entering the data. Okay. It mm-hmm. still comes down to a 12 month period. Okay. So right. instead of using January through December, I'm going to use May through, you know, April. It's still a 12 month period. Okay. So I, I don't see, I don't see the benefit. I'm, I'm, uh, now I'm open-minded and if somebody can show me that there is a benefit there, uh, you know, I'll I'll talk to them, but I just don't see the benefit of doing that. Okay, gotcha, Stan. This is James. I <clears throat> excuse me. I think the bigger thing that's really impactful here, and just my experience being out in the country, and I think kind of Jack's even alluding to. You know, a lot of people don't know what their costs are, so they don't know whether <laughs> it's cheaper to go buy hay or to put up their own hay because they've never actually. They, they never really allocated these costs to a hay enterprise. And I think it's really important. And that's what Stan's kind of pointing out. It's, it's, it really comes down to your ranch and your circumstances, but you also have to know what your numbers are so you can make a correct evaluation rather than disguising a bunch of stuff and thinking that you can put up hay cheaper than you can buy hay when you really don't even know. And I think the point is, is you should know so you can make that a wise decision rather than just a guess. And 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 take that one step farther, and and don't lie to yourself. If you, know, if you tell me you're, you're calculating it, and you said you, you know, oh, Stan, I calculated that number, and I I can do it for forty five dollars. I'm probably going to throw up the the BS flag because <laughs> I don't think that's right. Okay, uh, you're probably not including your depreciation. You're probably not doing a full cost analysis. Again, those and you're are, probably not it, paying yourself. It, 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 you know, again, exactly. I mean, uh, again, well, Stan, I'm not worth it. Then quit doing it. You know, just get out of the industry. If 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 you're just, you know, if you're not worth it, don't do it. Okay, but you got to tell you you can't tell me that you don't send your spouse to a retail store to buy groceries every once in a while. Well, that kind of, well, no, 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 no. Uh, if you're going to do it, you know, let's, let's, if you're going to tell me you're, you're, you're tracking it, tell me you're tracking it correctly. Okay. And again, it all comes back to, to doing these numbers accurately and consistently over time. Okay. So, but there's times when you have to throw up the flag and say, that's, you know, I, did, I don't believe you one bit. Okay. So you get into uh, the the final number that you know that I'll just visit with about on, on a cow calf standpoint. What's the break even cost per wean calf? Okay, and so that's you know 
at, at the day's end, I've spent all this money. I've gotten some secondary revenue by selling coal cows, by selling water, by whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I take my total expenses and I subtract out as an expense reducer my secondary revenue, okay? And I take that number and I divide it by the total pounds of wean calves for that particular year. And I now have what it costs me to produce a pound of wean calf on my operation. And if that number is $1.50 or if that number is $1.20 or if that dollar is $2, okay, I then compare that with what the market is offering me for my calves, okay? And the difference between those determines whether I'm making money or losing money, okay? And by having that number now and tracking that over time, what you find is that there is a slow march of inflation that that number is going higher and higher over time. Some some years it goes up a bunch. Some years it just kind of creeps up. And in fact, one or two years it may actually go down because I had a super weaning percentage or super weaning weights, okay? But the overall trend of that number is probably going up about 15 to 2% every year. It just so happens there's years where it goes up 6 like this year. If I do a bunch of analysis on ranches this year, I expect their cost of production going to be somewhere between 6 to 8% higher than what it was for last year, okay? And last year was probably higher by about 3 to 4% from the previous year. So the trend over time, though, is this goes up. Now, track that then, and I don't care, track, you know, chart that against what a market price is. I don't care whether it's the market price of the calves that you're, the price that you're getting for your calves or if you just take a, a Texas average price over time, or you take a Montana average price or a Florida average price over time, but just chart them and see what that looks like. And it will scare the devil out of you. Okay. Because again, you now have the three legs of a three legged stool. One, what's my productivity levels? Okay. And again, that comes back to pounds per female. Okay. Pounds per, per exposed female. What's my productivity level? Okay, and that's not going higher. I don't care what people say. Winning weights are not going higher in this country. Okay, so, I mean, I, I've yet to see a database that tells me that they're going higher over the last 15, 20 years. There was a time when they did. Okay, but they're not going up anymore. Um, relative to what the weather does to us, we have maximized productivity. Okay, now people don't want to hear that we've maximized productivity from a cow standpoint, but we have relative to what the weather allows us to do that year. So now you have maximized productivity relative to increasing cost. Again, if I've got the slow march of inflation, two to three percent, sometimes it's six, sometimes it's a negative one, but the trend is higher. That is a worst-case scenario for cow-calf operations in that their productivity is maximized, but your costs are, are continuing to go higher. At some point, that's a trap. The only thing that saves you then is continuing to monitor what my costs are. But again, the, even there, I can be the most scrupulous cost person, and I can still have higher costs. The third component then is what's the market price for the product that I'm producing. In this case, what's the price for my calves? And that better be going higher or else it's it's not a it's not a sustainable industry.
No. So do you recommend people look for ways to be more creative about how they sell calves in order to get a little bit more money? Without a doubt. And not necessarily just calves. You know, know, certainly, uh, and this is where I go back, not necessarily to the calf situation, uh, but albeit, yes, sir, um, you know, try to get as much for the dollars for those calves as I can get. Do as good a job on call marketing as I can. Don't just sit there and take calls cows to the market. You know, you know, do something. Call the guys ahead of time, and if they tell you don't bring them this week, don't take them. You know, stick them in a pen, do something with them. Okay, but do a better job of merchandising your calls. Get the best calves that you can that the market is going to want. But then also from a ranch standpoint, look for alternative revenue streams. Um, you know, whether it be wildlife, whether it be gravel sales, whether it be bird watching, you know, again, I know and I know what I'm saying here because all those things come with added risk and probably added expenses. Well. Overhead. But yeah. again, from a ranch land standpoint, you've got to generate all you can from a revenue standpoint off that land. OK, so uh, or else uh, it's it's going to be difficult. Okay. And and the the kicker is you've got a whole industry that's built on the back of cows. And if the cow number falls, I mean, we're going to see this in the next two years. I mean, we've got packing plants being built, you know, or being proposed to be built, you know, all across this country. At a time when we're decreasing cow numbers, tell me that's a good situation. You know, I just, uh, you know, we're uh, sometimes we get this thing more times than not. It seems like this industry gets in, gets things backwards instead of forwards. But anyway, that's the nah, I'll shut up there. That's, that's another webcast or <laughs> yeah, podcast yeah. in itself. <laughs> that's a that's whole right. other situation. So anyway, so I'll stop right there, guys. Yeah, Jack, I've got a follow up question. And then I think we'll see if we can find a way to um, close this off for the day. To what extent as people may be aware this uh, section of podcast episodes is funded by a USDA grant for producers that are underserved by crop insurance. And we're trying to eventually get around to what is the role of different kinds of livestock and drought insurance as part of a risk management portfolio for ranch finance. So my question is, to what extent is things like drought insurance uh, used to avoid having to do management that's responsive to drought. So are you asking to what extent are you, are producers using crop insurance as a crutch? Yes. What's your perception about that? And and then if not, you know, how, how should it be used? Well, I, I, I work with producers around the tri-state area and the Pacific Northwest. And I would say unilaterally, as I speak, as I have customers that experience, as Stan has talked about, below uh, average precipitation. And I, I put myself in this uh, boat. I have a policy on my own range ground. And as Stan has very eloquently pointed out, when precipitation's not there, forage isn't, either is productivity. I would say the vast majority of producers that I work with, they're putting those those payments right back into their operation. If it's to purchase additional feeds, um, if it's to identify um, infrastructure that can be enhanced to try to enhance uh, productivity, um, 
I would say to some degree, producers are using crop insurance to help them through those tight spots versus making some tough decisions that might be destock. Um, but on the on the precipitation side of things, and then as you look to uh, the revenue protection side of the equation, uh, I would say there's been a dramatic increase in producer interest and receptivity to the idea of trying to put a floor and protect themselves from some pretty dramatic market swings that we've seen in recent times. Mm-hmm. As a safety net rather than as a crutch. Most definitely. And, and that's, we, we've saw, we saw that most recently uh, this spring, I had a customer that had uh, a livestock revenue protection policy on yearling steers and heifers. It was going to end in March and at the, about the 10th of March. And we'd been in pretty close conversations leading through and the market had been just appearing to be starting its, its climb. And then we all know what happened in late February, early March with uh, Russia and their invasion on Ukraine, and we saw the markets go into a free-for-all fall. Grains went through the roof. Um, that producer was able to certainly protect themselves. They saw um, went from having to pay a substantial premium to receiving a substantial indemnity payment, which basically shored up that loss in market value on as to what those yearlings should have brought. Yeah. What uh, I guess what does that answer your question, Tip? It did, yes. Yeah, and we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about that uh, sometime soon. Here, I just wanted to the question about uh, the the issue of of people trying to ride out a drought instead of you know potentially making some difficult management decisions uh, to deal with it and to uh, to reduce the amount of financial loss. I was just curious. Uh, you know, what what role has drought insurance been playing in that? It's, and I think you answered that question. I I know for a fact it certainly helped a number of of operations, uh, certainly in the Pacific Northwest, but also throughout the country through through some pretty dry and tough times. Okay, well I think we got through a number of. KPIs that will be useful for folks to think about, and I would encourage listeners to begin working on some calculations if they haven't yet. If this hasn't been uh, enough of an impetus to start at least wondering what your numbers are if you don't know already, uh, people should do that. And we will include uh, several links in the show notes uh, to Stan's page and to some other tools that can help you think through how to deal with this. James, you get the last word. I don't know if I need the last word, but I do want to just make comment to, uh, you know, something that's really impactful to me that Stan said today on, um, in the discussion. And, and that is, you know, he talked a lot about, you know, if you're a general manager and you're accountable to a board of directors and, you know, I had that experience, you know, growing up on a family ranch, I didn't ever really feel like we were really accountable to anybody. And then I found myself in a role where I was accountable to a board of directors and it, really changed my view on how we were running our business. And and it's made me think a lot about that, that I think sometimes this, this business is getting more complicated all the time and it can feel overwhelming and we can tend to kind of put our head in the sand. 
as you know family ranchers and not really take this as serious as maybe we should. And I think Stan's provided some really good insight into how we can view you know our businesses a little bit more professionally because I, I really believe we are accountable to somebody and that really is the next generation that we all hope takes our place in this business. And I've really been um, impressed with the conversation and that, that Stan's brought forward here and, and just want to encourage producers to really think about the accountability that we have to this next generation and, and the things, the actions and the responsibility we can take today that maybe we haven't really ever had to before, but, but I think the day is here where we really need to uh, kind of step up our game. I think um, Jack's going to speak more to some of these tools and opportunities, what, which quite frankly are, are kind of a blessing to all of us that there's some tools out there that we can use to run these businesses a little bit more professionally. But we have to be prepared for that with the right information so we know how to use those tools. So I really appreciate Stan's uh, discussion. Yeah, and I think the consequences of financial failure maybe aren't fully appreciated. The The downstream effects when ranches begin to just close up shop because they can't make it uh, are pretty large economically, socially, you know, within a geographic area. Uh, and that's in the, in the big picture. That's what we're trying to help avoid here. Uh, Stan, thanks again for your time. Uh, glad to have been a help. Uh, I hope somebody can take some of my comments and, you know, try to make some changes or at least, uh, you know, I always felt like my job, if I'm, just an extension person is is to make somebody think about their operation in more detail. Uh, me as a consultant, then, uh, what can I do to to identify the the strengths and and more importantly the weaknesses of uh, that are there that can that's going to prohibit you from from moving your ranch to, you know forward to to fulfilling your your own goals. So I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you again, and thank you for your work. Thank you for listening to the Art of Range podcast. You can subscribe to and review the show through iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. Just search for Art of Range. If you have questions or comments for us to address in a future episode, send an email to show at artofrange.com. For articles and links to resources mentioned in the podcast, please see the show notes at artofrange.com. Listener feedback is important to the success of our mission, empowering rangeland managers. Please take a moment to fill out a brief survey at artofrange.com. This podcast is produced by Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. The project is supported by the University of Arizona and funded by the Western Center for Risk Management Education through the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.